Welcome to Future of Journalism, a podcast from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at the University of Oxford. I'm Eduardo Suárez, Head of Editorial at the Institute. From unprecedented heat waves in Spain to devastating flooding in Pakistan, uh, few issues feel as global today as climate change. And yet, most of the voices telling this crucial story come from Europe and North America. The global majority is mostly sidelined uh, when these issues are discussed. This is why Climate Focus Carbon Brief and the Reuters Institute have launched the Global South Climate Database, a publicly available, searchable database of scientists and experts from Africa, Asia, the Pacific, and Latin America and the Caribbean. How many scientists have joined our database? Where do they come from? How can journalists use this resource in their reporting? And most crucially, what are the next steps for the project? Well, that, those are the questions I'm going to put today to our guests, who are Aisha Tandon and Diego Argueta Ortiz, the journalists who are leading on this project. Aisha is a climate uh, and science journalist from Campbell Brief, and Diego is the manager of the Oxford Climate Journalism Network, an initiative that we launched in 2021 and whose founders uh, were Goldkang Blau and Mira Selva. Aisha and Diego, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us here. Aisha, I'm going to start with you. I mean, the origin of this initiative uh, can be traced actually to an analysis, a post uh, about the lack of diversity in climate science and, and expertise uh, that you published in October 2021. Um, so I'm sure that our listeners would be interested. What did you find uh, back then? Absolutely. So as you say, the, the wheels started turning for this project, if you like, about a year ago when I published this analysis. So we at Carbon Brief were running a feature week on the topic of climate justice. And the piece that I contributed to that, I wanted to look at the lack of diversity within climate science. I wanted to look at how climate papers get out there and who are the people who are writing these papers. So I looked at the 100 most highly cited climate science papers over a five year period. So this is papers in highly prestigious journals like Nature and Science. And I analyzed who was writing them. And so this involved manually going through 1300 authors to see their gender, <laughs> to see um, what country they were from. And I found- My goodness, how, how long did it take? <laughs> oh, it took it must have many, many, ages, many right? hours, yeah. more time than I want to admit to. <laughs> probably, probably not the most efficient way to do this analysis. But um, uh, basically I found that maybe unsurprisingly, 90% of the authors came from the global north. So North America and Europe. Um, and less than 1% came from Africa. So I was expecting uh, an inequality, but I wasn't expecting it to be this big, you know? Mm. Um, and so what I did is I talked to lots of scientists about why they thought this was. So I spoke to experts from the global north and from the global south, men and women, and mm. I just spoke about what barriers they faced in introducing climate science. And there were a huge, as you can imagine, huge number of issues that they brought up. So there were things around funding, funding for equipment, funding for grants. There was the, the power imbalance of even if you do manage to collaborate with someone from the global north who has funding, 
that produces this power imbalance in the way that your research is conducted. There are language barriers. Uh, publishing in English is, is really, um, I don't want to say needed, but English really is the most popular language for people to, to read climate science and all of the really prestigious journals are in English. So there's a language barrier uh, that, anyway, so many issues uh, that people raised. And so this really highlighted to me how important it is to, to try to get some more diversity into our work and make it a little bit easier to just overcome a few of these barriers that Global South experts are facing. Hmm. Uh, and, and I guess, Diego, uh, from the other side of this problem, you know, you are the manager of the Oxford Climate uh, Journalism Network and, and you've been in permanent contact uh, in the last uh, year or so with 200 journalists from, from all over the world. Uh, journalists, uh, some of them climate journalists, but also journalists interested in climate that cover other other areas. So, are they aware of this problem that Aisha, um, you know, detected, and and you know, in which ways um, this is actually impacting uh, the reporting on on the climate crisis? Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting how at the same time, or like several months after that, afterwards, that Aisha and Carbon Brief finished this exercise and we start chatting with reporters at the Oxford Climate Journalism Network, we started hearing similar reports or similar circumstances. So what we do at the network, we have lectures and workshops and seminars, but there's a lot of, lot of listening. Part of the exercise is creating community and sharing experiences and sharing what work and what's not working on our climate reporting. And many of our members the majority come from, of whom come from the global south, from Africa, Latin America, Asia and the Pacific, they were saying, look, I am struggling to find reports or scientists or experts that cover these topics in countries around me. And I can go back to my experience reporting climate change in Costa Rica when I was trying to find experts in Nicaragua or in Guatemala or in Honduras. It was not entirely clear who these experts were and where were they placed. And if I wanted to report on a big paper that just came out, the papers were written by scientists in North America or in Europe. And if I just Googled oceanography, climate change, or even in Spanish, oceanografia, cambio climatico, it was likely that the scientists I came up with were not from our region. So that's something we discussed. And the other thing we kept hearing was that some of these reporters were hearing from their sources, from scientists, and I can distinctly recall one colleague from the Philippines who was telling us, my sources are telling me that they're frustrated because they are feeling sidelined on the reporting on climate change. Some scientists from elsewhere come and maybe spend a couple of weeks here and study that subject, and then they are quoted more often than people who maybe know this area for their whole lives. So these two topics were on our mind by the time that one of our members, who was also a Carbon Brief reporter, Joe Goodman, told us that Aisha had this in mind, and we started discussing this and realized that there were many common issues that we were both facing. 
Absolutely. I, mean, I think one of the things you said was so important, that there are so many experts from the global south who are feeling sidelined. But at the same time, even for journalists who really want to make diversity a big issue in their pieces, it's just so difficult. I mean, I don't know about you, Diego, when you were doing your reporting, but I could easily sink an entire day into trying to find diverse sources for peace. One day out of, let's say, two days that I have to write the piece and still not find anybody just from googling because people from the global south in general seem to have such a lower internet presence because they don't have access to these big journals and websites and and, and places where they can get their name out there so yeah it was very exciting when you approached me and said that you were also seeing these issues well let's talk uh, a little bit about the database itself because now we have the database uh, it is available uh, on carbon brief uh, website and and Aisha, I would like uh, you to walk uh, our listeners through um, what we have right now. How many experts uh, have joined so far? Um, how um, did you recruit them? How um, are you verifying them? Uh, I mean, tell us a little bit about that process. Absolutely. So as you said, the database is now live. Very exciting on the Carbon Brief website, carbonbrief.org. Um, so the way it works is that we have a Google form and if a scientist from the global south or an expert, so we're looking at climate science, energy and policy experts from the global south, if they want to add their details to this database, they just need to fill in the Google form, it should take about five minutes, and that response gets sent to me and Diego and our team. And then it gets to the very time consuming process of verification. We look through every single submission. We check that they are from the Global South. We check that they are actually an expert in what they say they are an expert in. We clean it up, we fix typos, spelling mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. And then the details go live onto the database. So we're trying to do that update maybe once a month. We don't have any Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck or whatever. These are real experts, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That is the idea. <laughs> and it's interesting because, yeah, there are so many people who have signed up that do not belong there, if, if, if you want. Either people who are based and are from the global north, scientists from, from Germany or from Denmark, or scientists are from Germany and Denmark, but are based in the global south because part of the idea is so many of this top scientists from Europe, North America, they go to countries like Costa Rica or South Africa or Singapore to share their expertise over there. And maybe we would like to highlight more report scientists and experts from those countries. But also just a lot of people who you just feel they want to share their expertise, but maybe they're reporters or it's, it's interesting how many people just want to join. I think from our first cut, we were doing 540 or so entries and out of those 410 or 20 reached the database the rest were still like either discussing with them like maybe we need more information or just they didn't cut it for one reason or the other maybe they didn't have specific climate expertise and on this i think it's interesting that we are asking scientists and experts to submit this their entry themselves because this might be seen as an extra burden for them so why do I have to do it myself? Why can't Carbon Brief or Rogers Institute just come and make their own database? And for us, it's really important that we are not seen as the judges of who is who should be in the first place. So if you submit, then we'll verify it. But we don't want this database to be only people we know because that, that makes it narrower, you know, just by definition. 
Absolutely. And that's such a good point because some other people have also asked, can you verify who is a good speaker? Like, can you rank people based on how good they will be for media appearances? And that, again, is something that we're not going to do. We're not going to impose our views on these experts. We will sort of put the database there. Journalists can use it themselves, but we're not going to start trying to rank experts by how good they would be to speak to. That's not our role. Um, yeah, so, so the experts will, will add their own details. It's self-submission. And as Diego has said, we think that's really important. Um, and so as it is, we have experts from more than 80 countries who collectively speak more than 50 languages on the database. So every expert on the database speaks English. We decided to make that a prerequisite. But of our 412 experts, there are more than 50 other languages represented there as well, which is very exciting. And I should also add that since the launch of the database, which was only five days ago from the day we're recording, we've had about four or 500 new submissions to the database. So it is really taking off and we will try to update every month or so with, with new submissions. This is a constantly evolving process. There will constantly be new people added. Um, and so that's very exciting. Mm. Uh, it's, it's really exciting to, to hear, yes. Uh, Diego, uh, uh, Aisha mentioned this uh, briefly, but uh, uh, one of the coolest things about the, about the database is that it includes experts who can do interviews in uh, more than 50 different languages. And obviously you and I are both uh, Spanish native speakers. Um, and, and, and from your conversations with climate journalists, not just in Latin America, but uh, you know, in other regions, um, uh, why do you think this uh, really matters? I mean, what would be the impact to have these kind of experts you know, who can give interviews, let's say in French or Hindi or Urdu or, or, or any other uh, languages around the world? I think it's fundamental and not only global sub languages, but also languages like German and Swedish. I was checking the database and we do have people speaking German and people speaking Swedish. And so, and I think this is critical for, for several reasons. The first one obviously is because majority of people around the world don't speak English as a first language. And naturally you feel more comfortable sharing ideas and interviewing someone in your own language. That is the first point. But then because of the nature of, of journalism, especially audio and video journalism, you require someone who speaks the language of your audience. So if you're reporting from Argentina, you need someone who speaks Spanish. And if you're in Angola, you need one who speaks Portuguese. And it, you just need someone who can understand, sorry, who your, who your audience can understand. So that's fundamental for just for the issue of like, how do you make sure your audience understands this expert? And then the other point is you just need scientists that you can talk to and, and make it make it easy to to comment. And this is relevant and re is really felt by reporters. This week we had one of our weekly chats at the Oxford Climate Journalism Network and one of our members um, was yeah Neil Kamal from India. He was mentioning he just was just really thankful for the fact that we have languages listed and he can reach out to people in Hindi and see who actually speaks Hindi here, who I can interview. And I think that makes a difference if you're reporting on, on a topic, especially if, if maybe you're in a you know, deadline, you don't have time to translate back into your language. I, I think that just is, makes it easy for reporters to understand. And also if you are reporting from France or uh, from Spain or from Italy or from Germany, and you want someone to speak to on air in your language, you can actually Google this 
or search the database and see who's there, who's who's speaking the language. Sure. Uh, once we have uh, such a diverse and, and, and huge database as we do now, uh, I guess that the challenge is to get journalists to use it. Uh, and Aisha, I don't know if um, you can tell us, I mean, which kind of things um, uh, you guys are planning to do uh, to ensure that the database uh, actually moves the needle uh, in terms of the diversity of the climate uh, change coverage um, uh, in publications around the world. Absolutely. Well, I should thank you for keeping us on track because it feels only five days after the launch that we're still reeling from everything we've been doing over the past few months. But yes, as you say, got to press on, got to get more people using this database. So one of the first, maybe most important things is COP27 is coming up uh, starting on Monday. And we obviously will have journalists and scientists and experts from all over the world traveling to Egypt, to Sharm el-Sheikh, to talk about climate change. And so we have some people from Carbon Brief, some people from the, the Reuters Journalism Institute will be traveling there. And well, very basically, they'll be trying to promote the database to as many people as they can. So we actually have a little QR codes that they're going to be taking around and flashing at people and asking them to scan to fill in, to fill in the database. So the big thing that I'm really looking forward to is we're going to be implementing media training for the experts on the database. So it's all very well to have a database of experts from the Global South. But if they don't understand how to interact well with journalists, how to do quotes, how to respond to media inquiries, it's not going to be very useful for journalists. And that's what we want. We want to make this database useful for journalists. So in the new year, the plan is to basically put forward some training to help Global South experts understand what is needed from them when a journalist reaches out with a question. Well, I, I, um, I'd like to finish this episode actually speaking a little bit more generally about uh, COP27 uh, that Aisha just mentioned. I mean, um, it is taking place in Egypt this year, um, actually later this month. Diego, uh, what would you say uh, are the main issues that news organizations should be paying attention to this time? I think the topic that will take most of the attention this time will be loss and damage. The recent floods in Pakistan, the heatwaves around the world, the hurricanes in the Caribbean and then typhoons in the Pacific. I think this issue of like, what is the extent of what we're losing and how are we going to pay back for that is going to be at the center of the conversation. And I think that will where the media will, attention will be, I think. But I, w I would like to me to go out I'd like further on and then start asking start following the money after loss and damage. I think loss and damage will be discussed a lot as a topic in itself, but the financial implications of that, I think will be interesting. Not only, and then the money, not only loss and damage, but all the money also on like mitigation adaptation. We have so much money being discussed. We're discussing the new financial goal uh, after 2025, the new, the new, like the new hundred billion, what's going to be, who's going to pay. I think all these big, money issues i i would expect to be at the center of the conversation after this cop and as crucial for me after the cop i think the cop ends and media coverage of climate change i hope would continue following and i think we're getting better as an industry slightly better at not only covering climate change two weeks at a, uh, every year but getting more of a flow across the other 50 weeks of the year mm. 
That's a great point. And I have a slightly different uh, question for Aisha, which is uh, what would you like to see from news organizations uh, that are covering COP27 this year? Yeah, so I completely agree with Diego that I think loss and damage is going to be the big thing that media is covering at COP27. And so what I'm really interested to see is who they talk to, who journalists talk to about this issue, because there are some real giants in the field of loss and damage. Um, for example, Salim Haq from, from Bangladesh. Um, and I think it would be very easy for journalists to go to these same people repeatedly and for basically every outlet to be running a very similar story with a very similar set of quotes. And so I'm really interested to see if there are any new voices who arise out of COP27 this year and if the media really does put that time and effort into finding different experts for this topic. I think that will be, that's what I'm hoping to see from this, from this COP. That's also a very good point. Uh, finally, I'd like you both to highlight actually one of the experts uh, in our Global South Climate Database. Um, I mean, you can choose more than one, really. Uh, but uh, obviously, the purpose of this is to highlight, uh, you know, the work of one of these uh, people who have actually joined the database and that journalists can reach out uh, for some of their coverage uh, in the next few weeks or in the next few months. Uh, maybe we can start with you, Aisha. Absolutely. Well, I have picked just one person. It was very difficult, but I have selected one person from the database. Uh, this is Regina Rodriguez from Brazil. And I selected her because I've done a lot of work with her in the lead up to the launch of the database. She's been really helpful to bounce ideas off of. And she actually spoke at the soft launch of the event uh, of the database at an event a couple of months ago about some of the barriers faced by climate experts from the global south. She's been very vocal about it and very open and really helped me to understand some of the issues that she's been facing. Aside from that, she is a fantastic scientist as well. So she's studying compound extreme events uh, in the ocean and on land. And she's a very good speaker. She's, she's done work with, um, for example, nature commentary pieces before. So she's got a lot of experience with the media as well. Uh, and I would love to see some more people contacting her for her expertise. Okay, we jot that down. Regina Rodriguez from Brazil. Uh, so Diego, what's your choice? I, I'm going to go homegrown and I'm going to go for Dr. Andrea Vincent, who is an assistant professor of ecological system, sorry, ecosystem ecology at my home university, the University of Costa Rica. And Andrea is one of these like forces of nature. And it's crazy. She's, she's like so like experienced in her field. She does carbon um, like in soils and the whole like geo carbon system and she has like a gazillion experiments at the same time in Costa Rica and mentors students over there. And I just, I just really enjoy the work that she does back home. Um, and I really admire her a lot. But the other person I also want to highlight is David Obuda, who is the founding director of Coastal Ocean Research and Development in the Indian Ocean, Cordio, East Africa. And David is just this just he works more like marine uh, science and biodiversity. He he came to speak to our network and our biodiversity seminar a couple of couple of weeks ago or like a month ago, and he was so great. He was part of this um, IPES and IPCC biodiversity and climate change sort of like work, joined workshop, and he just knows his stuff on biodiversity and climate change, which is one of my favorite topics to cover uh, when I was re re reporting on climate change. And I think this strikes me, just mentioning these two people and also Regina, 
and so many in the database is just the level of scientists we have here. Because it might be easy to say, okay, we'll just find some science from the global south and we'll just include them. But it's just entirely the opposite. The quality of people here is as good or better than the average reporter you have, science you have in the global north. And I think just highlighting that this is just not chatter reporting. This is just like, this wouldn't reach any news organization's coverage of climate change any day of the week. You just find out who these people are and reach out to them because it's just outstanding what they're doing in their fields. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know about you, but I have spent hours just trawling the database and kind of grinning at the at the people that I'm finding on there and the expertise they have. It is amazing. Well, that's a super great note to um, to end the podcast with, and and we encourage any of our uh, listeners, any journalists who are listening, to to go to the database, uh, find Regina Rodriguez from Brazil, Andrea Vincent from Costa Rica, or David Obura from Kenya, but but many 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 other names there, like uh, hundreds of names uh, of people you can reach out to uh, for your climate coverage in the next few weeks or or months. Uh, Aisha and Diego, thank you so much for joining us uh, for the podcast today. Thanks for having us. It's been great. Yeah, thanks for the chat, Eduardo. Well, we remind you that our guests uh, today have been Aisha Tandon and Diego Argueda Sortiz. Aisha is a science journalist uh, for uh, Carbon Brief, and Diego is the manager of our own uh, Oxford Climate uh, Journalism Network. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can catch up uh, on other episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you don't want to miss any news from the Institute, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter by clicking the link on our Twitter bio or on our homepage. This was Future of Journalism, a podcast by the Reuters Institute. I'm Eduardo Suarez. We'll be back soon.